Hi, I'm the Ish Girl, and you're listening to episode 72 of In the Middle of It, the podcast where parents and teachers can find ideas, strategies, and resources for connecting with teens. Hey there, I'm Amy, also known as the Ish Girl, and I am so glad that you're with me today. Now, I hope you all are hanging in there during this crazy quarantine coronavirus situation. And if you're like me, you and your family are more up close and personal than you've been in a while. And just to give you guys a little bit of behind the scenes insight, what that means for me is that as I have been recording this podcast, I've had to stop a couple of times because the closet where I record is right below one of our family bathrooms. So every time someone flushes or turns on the sink, yeah, you can totally hear it through the microphone and as part of the episode. So I have spared you guys and cut those things out. But again, it's just one of those things about being up close and personal, doing our daily things in a way that we're not used to doing. Now that we're past the honeymoon period of woohoo, there's no in-person school anymore. That means that you might be getting on each other's nerves. And if that's the case, I have something that I want to share with you today. Now, this is going to be a replay of one of my favorite episodes from my podcast archives. It's a conversation that I had with my good friend, Tammy Scow, about healthy boundaries. Now, what we're talking about here is not boundaries like social distancing. No, these healthy boundaries happen when we recognize what we actually have control over and what we don't. So guess which list is longer? For me, the visual that Tammy shares is so powerful, and it's something I go back to very frequently, as in probably a couple of times a week. So even if you caught this episode the first time around, and it's episode 16, it is definitely worth a re-listen. And also, at the end of this episode, I'm going to share some words of wisdom that have had a tremendous impact on me during this time of uncertainty. So be sure and stay tuned for that. Now, let's jump into my conversation with Tammy. Hi, I'm your host, Amy Kelly, also known as the Ish Girl. And today I have invited my friend, Tammy Scow, back to talk about something she referenced in one of the previous episodes that I have. I think it was episode nine, and I have a link to that in my show notes. So today what we're going to be talking about is this concept of your umbrella of responsibility. And It is Tammy's just brilliant analogy for boundaries, right? Would you say that? So I'm not going to reintroduce Tammy other than to say that she is a licensed professional counselor and she works um, just north of Dallas, Texas at Planting Seeds Coaching and Counseling. And and I'm going to go ahead and give you your website because if you want to look up her bio or find out more information about what we're talking about today, you can go to their website at Planting Seeds cc.com that's p-l-a-n-t-i-n-g-s-e-e-d-s-c-c.com all right tammy tell me about the umbrella because this is something once you shared it with me and it's been probably a couple years like it is so easy to understand and brilliant i i feel like because it really gives you a great visual of how to manage your boundaries and what what that even means. So why don't you jump in and kind of just define what we're talking about here. Boundaries is one of those words that we use a lot of different ways, right? Right. So it does make it kind of confusing because you you hear it in one way, in one thing, in a different way somewhere else, or or one way with one author uh, and another way with a different speaker. And so it it is a complex 
um, word to understand. Also, this is really simple when we're talking about it theoretically. Oh, sure. <laughs> it's very complex, and you'll see even with the umbrella, it becomes right. really complex when you try to go out there and, and live something, and I totally get that, and hopefully we'll get to be able to use a lot of different examples so the audience has ways of seeing how this applies to their life. So essentially, the way I'm using boundaries is what is my responsibility and what is not my responsibility? Okay. Uh, Henry Cloud and John Townsend are Christian psychologists, and they're kind of known as the boundary guys. And, and they use the word, where do I end and someone else begins, right? And so this is meant to help us that. If I'm in a relationship with you, what's my responsibility? What's not my responsibility? Fair? Fair. Okay. So I call this the umbrella of responsibility. So under my umbrella, we're all holding our own little umbrellas. And what's under mine for my responsibility is this. And I'm going to list this out. And you've got a resource attached. Is that correct? Yes. I am going to provide um, in my show notes and in my resource library a visual of this umbrella of responsibility. So it will have what Tammy's talking about right now, everything that she lists, all of the information that we're talking about with this umbrella analogy, I will sure. have on a printable Good. that you will be able to download. Great. Okay. In my practice, I have a bright green piece of paper mm -hmm. because this is a concept that's kind of foundational to how we do relationships. So I think I probably do this with every client that comes in the door at some point. Okay. And I put on a nice bright green piece of paper so that some point later I could say, hey, you remember that umbrella on that green piece of paper? And they all go, yes, I do. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't know if Amy's is going to be green or not, but um, so under your umbrella is this list. My actions and behaviors, my words, my thoughts and attitudes, my responses and choices, my values, beliefs, and priorities, my hopes, dreams, and goals, and my emotional responses. Now, I could probably list a hundred more things, but you kind of get the gist, right? What's the common word in there? My. My, 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 my. Yes, by the nature <laughs> of it being my umbrella of responsibility, I'm responsible for my list. And if I'm responsible for my list, that means you're not responsible for my list and I'm not responsible for yours, right? Because I can't be responsible for my words and also be responsible for your words. That wouldn't be fair. That wouldn't work. That makes sense? One of the things that's the most confusing because of the way we talk in our society is emotional response because we say things like, you made me mad. By the nature of that sentence structure, I'm saying you're responsible for my emotions. Right. right. Well, and I'm going to jump in here because sure. I think even, and this was 20 years ago when I was still in the classroom, and I remember doing some training that I immediately adopted and started using at <laughs> home because I thought it was so effective, which was um, that kind of three-step statement, like, when you leave your dirty clothes on the floor, it makes me so angry because I feel like you don't care that our sure. house is clean or, or whatever. But I've realized since then that that's that's not under my umbrella. Like right. he doesn't make me feel, but I can say, I'm so angry right now. I don't like it when you do this. Like it's so it's, and then that even might still be falling, <laughs> not the umbrella, no. but you know what I'm saying? Like I, I'm working to try to make it like I'm owning my feelings. I'm explaining what that emotion is, but I'm not casting any kind of it's your fault that I'm feeling Absolutely. this way. And, and those are that's helpful language to use when you're trying to understand each other. 
Right. So relationally, I want to understand what it's like for you to be in a relationship with me, and I want you to understand what it's like for me to be in a relationship with you. So so we actually, as counselors, work with people to use that kind of sen sentence structure so that they can help each other understand how they impact and affect each other. Okay. Right? Okay. But this is a little bit different, and here's why. How I know that you're not responsible for my emotional responses, even though I'm impacted and affected by what you do, is if we were in a room and there was five of us in this room and a teenage kid came in and he kicked the door Oh, in. I love this example. You've shared this before. <laughs> oh, yes. Go. And he's got one of those super soaker squirt guns, right, that just hold a ton of water and he squirts us all down. Somebody in here is going to be really mad and they're going to think that punk kid needs to be taught a lesson. Somebody in here is going to be really scared. In fact, if there's anybody in here with PTSD, they're going to be in a full fight-or-flight response as though that was a machine gun. They might be curled up in the fetal position, right? Somebody else might think it's the funniest thing they've seen ever and laugh and go, oh my goodness, you wouldn't believe what happened today. This kid came in and you should have seen the look on their face. I might be sad or concerned for that kid. I might not see him as a punk kid that needs to be taught a lesson, but a kid calling out for help. We all had a different emotional response to the same stimulus. Why? I, I'm assuming it's because of all your experiences and things that you're bringing to the table, right? right? It's, it's, your, it's what's in your own head yeah. and your heart. Yeah, your histories and experiences, your personality. The guy who thinks it's funny probably finds humor in a lot of things, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Your belief systems, maybe your training, right? All of that is impacting your emotional response to your world, Okay. right? That kid is not powerful enough to control your histories, your experiences, your beliefs. Those are the things that are contributing to your emotional response, but he has no control or power over those things. He is responsible for what's the first thing on the list? His actions and behaviors. He is, right? right? And it's pretty commonly known that you can't come into a place of business or a public place and squirt everybody down with a squirt gun. So he would need to make reparations. He'd need to say, hey, that wasn't okay for me to do that. What do I do to make up for that? Right? right. Because he values and beliefs about what is good, loving, and healthy does not line up with squirting a bunch of people in a business setting down with a squirt gun. Right. So you just said something there that I want us to kind of fo hone sure. in on and focus in on. So your values, beliefs, and priorities have to do with what you believe are is good, good loving, mm -hmm. and healthy. Right. right. Okay. So talk about that a little bit. I sure will. We are required to live, say the things we say, and do the things we do because it lines up with our values about what is good, loving, and healthy. And when we mess up, and we will mess up because we're human, we make reparations for not living up to our values or beliefs. We don't do what we say or, or do what we do or say <laughs> what we say because of somebody else's emotion. Because if we did, that kid, when he saw the guy laugh, He's getting permission to do it again. Right. Right? Our emotions are not necessarily the best predictor about what is good, loving, and healthy. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Now, the problem is, is some of our values, you know, we're in relationship with people who have different values than we do. Right. Right. But so I can see conflict that yes. could arise there. So yeah. when we dialogue about what is good, loving, and healthy in this, rather than what makes me happy... Right. We can have more productive conversations. Right. Right. Think about it this way. You've got a toddler. I'm assuming most of this audience is parents of teens, right? Right. So at some point in time, they, their kids were toddlers. Right. 
and I think fairly universally, <laughs> at some point in time, that toddler wants to have candy or ice cream instead of their healthy lunch or healthy dinner. And when mom said, no, you need to eat your healthy lunch or your healthy dinner, the kid probably got really upset. Now, I'm not saying that kids don't manipulate, but usually the first time, they really are upset. Right. Their feelings are hurt. They're mad. They're frustrating because I want this and you won't give it to me. And they're angry. So they might even say, I hate you. You're the worst mom ever because you won't give me ice cream. So his feelings are really hurt. Has mom harmed them by saying no? Clearly not. That's <laughs> the point of this is that you can say no because of your values yes. and beliefs that are based on what's good, healthy, and loving. Right. And they're going to get really ticked off at you. Right. right. And so I totally get that. And, and we were talking just before we started recording that the issue with that when you're dealing with your teens and parenting is... For me, it's so easy to get a little taken aback, I, I guess is the best way, or, or even a little fuzzy in my head with, oh my gosh, like I've said no. That lines up with my values and beliefs about what I think is good, right, loving, and healthy. But sometimes it's not so clear cut. And with my teen who is responding in a way where I've devastated her world and this is horrible and awful and I'm ruining their lives, right. then that kind of makes me think, well, maybe I didn't make the right decision <laughs> in there. And so it's it's really, for me, what I found is it's important to be really crystal clear on those values, beliefs, and priorities and why it is good, right. healthy, and loving to be able to stay the course. And there's still things that are so great. And I think that's what you right. said too. Like, t talk about that a little bit. So it's a lot simpler when they're toddlers. You know, there's, so, there's some gray area. I'm not saying that everything's black and white, but it typically can be a little bit more clear on what is good, loving, and healthy, right? When they get to teenagers' years, in fact, it's not unusual for parents to begin to disagree a lot when the kids begin to get... So good parenting yes. partners when the kids were little... When they get to be teenagers, the two parents have a hard time partnering together because it's so much less clear on what is okay, what's not okay, what is good, loving, and healthy, what's not. There's a lot more mixed messages. There's a lot more unknowns, right? right? It's right. so much more unclear when they're teenagers that, one, it's, it's highly likely that you yourself are not sure what the good loving healthy thing to do is it's also more likely that you and your in your partner the other parent are not going to agree on what's good loving and healthy that one of you sees it one way and the other sees it another way when we talk about making people happy we're submitting our values to theirs who's this most likely the smartest person in the in the room is it the 13 year old well i guess it depends on who you're asking <laughs> I am not about making people miserable, right? So this umbrella is not about I'm going to do what I want right? and I'm not going to care about the wake it leaves behind me. Yeah. It's not about being rigid to the rules with no compassion for the impact or the effect it has on the kid. It's about in a compassionate way, understanding the importance to your child, understanding the perspective of your spouse, but coming together and going, okay, in this situation... The value, the priority that we're looking to uphold is this. Like the most important thing the here. The most important is thing, and how whatever. can we do that? It does require you relooking at your values. 
Yes, it does, doesn't it? Because, you know, it would be easy if I could just pick one thing and just stick with it for the rest of their lives, but that won't work very well. No. A lot of times there's conflicting values. So a lot of times if I say, hey, what's my belief about what is good, loving and healthy, and I list them, it might be a list. Right. It's not usually one thing. Oftentimes it's a list, and sometimes the things on that list conflict with each other. Okay. Right? So... I might want my kid to be able to be independent, Mm -hmm. start taking risks, have some self-sufficiency so that when they go away to college, it's not so much of a struggle for them, right? So I believe that it's good for them to have some independence, right? Right. Right. (laughs) I believe it's good for them to take some of those chances while they're still in my home instead of going off to college and falling apart because it's gone. They go from being under you know, my roof so much. us Yes. Yeah. So all of a sudden not being structured by anybody. Mm-hmm. So that is a belief that I have that they need to start practicing that independence. They need to start practicing making decisions for themselves. But I also have a value and belief that as a parent, it's my job to set up boundaries that protect my kids. Right. Right? Yes. And what you're describing, I feel like I'm in the middle of right now. Absolutely. Like figuring out where where those lines are blurring a little bit and when to extend them a little bit sure. and what that's going to look like and where and all right. those kinds of things. And yeah. there's a lot of differences from one teenager to the next or oh, from yeah. one family to another. So, you know, you have, your teenager comes home and they want to go to a party. What is the definition of this party? And do you even really know if what you're hearing as the definition of the party is really what it's going to turn out to be? Does that make sense? Yeah. And is this a time where we practice independence and self-sufficiency and their ability to make decisions that are good, loving, and healthy without me forcing it? Or is this one of those times where I go, hey, no, it's my job to set the boundaries up. And this is something that I don't believe is good for you. And I know you're not going to like it. And I know what you want. What would make you happy is a yes. A yes to go to the co-ed sleepover. Right. right? That would would be, would conflict with our values Values and beliefs. beliefs. Right. Right. And so what makes you happy is yes, but my job isn't to make you happy. My job's not to make you miserable. My job is to figure out in this moment... What priority and value is the one that I want to give most uh, leeway to in this in this right. situation? And how can I do that effectively? And, and a question like that, like, so if you asked me, hey, is it okay for a kid on, like, prom night to go to a parent-supervised co-ed sleepover? Right. Then. I can't answer that question. It depends on the kid. It depends on the nature of the relationships of all the kids that are involved. It depends on the parent supervisor. It depends on the maturity right. of the kid. It depends on your values and your beliefs. It depends on so much. But if I go, okay, my job isn't to make my kid happy. My job isn't to control their actions or behavior either, by the way. <laughs> what is my values and beliefs? Uh, do I need to have certain conversations with them? What do I need to do to say yes? Or if I'm saying no, do I know why I'm saying no? Oh, I like that. Say that again. What do I need in order to say yes? Or if I'm saying no, do I know why I'm saying no? The, um, so here's the thing that gets confusing for parents. Okay, this list that we went over of everything that's my responsibility. Yes. My kids have their own umbrella. My responsibility as a parent is to train, model, and reinforce my values and beliefs, hoping that they will adopt it. They get the freedom to adopt or reject. And the learning curve is different for everybody. So again, I'll start with a toddler example because those are usually real simple. Teenager examples, not as much, right? Right. Toddler example, we go to a play date and I got little Johnny and little Johnny likes to jump on furniture. 
So I'm going to model respect for other people's belongings. One, I'm not going to jump on furniture, but I don't know if that's, you know, <laughs> would be a given. I don't, but, but he would know from me that I don't break things of people without offering to pay it back, that I'm not careless with other people's belonging, that I show respect when I'm in somebody else's house, right? right? So I model that value for respect for other people's belongings. I train it. So little Johnny starts to jump on the couch and I go, hey, you jump here, not there. Little Johnny keeps jumping on the house. I say, hey, buddy, we're going to have to end the play date. If we're going to go to a play date at somebody's house, you've got to respect their property. So mm -hmm. we've got to go home. We'll try again next week. But you might do that little explanation the first time, right? Sure. If I know that he's got a propensity, when we walk in the door, I might remind. Remember, we don't jump on people's furniture. Right. So we're modeling, we're training, we're reinforcing. Little Johnny has his own umbrella. My job is not to control him. I'm not powerful enough to even control a two-year-old. I wish I was, but I'm not. <laughs> but here's why this is so important. Little Susie may never have a thought to jump on a couch, right? If I'm the parent of little Susie, I'm like, look at me. <laughs> right. Right? If I'm the parent of little Johnny, now there's shame. What's wrong with me? Why can't I keep him from, why can't he be like Susie? So I'm shaming myself that I can't parent him in a way that controls his behavior. And I'm shaming him because why can't you control your behavior and be more like Susie? Where the learning curve for Susie was probably just mom saying, hey, we don't jump on furniture. Right. But I also think in that example that you're giving, what I'm finding as, a, as the toddlers and things that we've had that are growing up is Wow, it was really great with Johnny that you had that friction point as a toddler because then you really specifically and clearly kind of planted in him this idea of we respect other people's stuff. Absolutely. Whereas with Susie, you haven't had that conflict. You've just kind of had the verbal and she's compliant and does what she's supposed to do, but right. she may not have the hard attitude. So it's that whole behavior versus attitude and heart right those values the values right? the yes. character traits that i want to instill right as difficult as it may be with challenging kids where their learning curve may be longer right, right? there is the values are clear i mean they kind of get to know what is what your values and your beliefs about what is good loving and healthy because you've had to reinforce it in them and you've used those words right right, right. with a kid less that's less pushing about boundaries mm -hmm. right they may be more covert and they may not really understand what their values are because right. they haven't really been dialogued about or pushed up against. Does that make sense? Yes. But here's the thing. It's not your job to control your kids' behavior. They're responsible for their behavior. They're responsible for their hopes, dreams, and goals. They're responsible for their thoughts and attitudes. I, w I wish I could download healthy software. <sighs> right? Me too. Right? But I, I don't, I'm not that powerful. Right. I can model what is good, loving, and healthy. I can train, I can reinforce, but they get to choose whether or not they're going to adopt it for themselves or reject it, right? And that's true whether they're toddlers or young adults. My job is to model, train, and reinforce, not to control, not to make happen, not to somehow instill something in them. Right. Is that fair? Mm-hmm. Okay. If I think it is, I walk away feeling either proud if you think what is if, I'm sorry. I, if I think it is my responsibility okay, okay right right I walk away with a false pride like I've done something that right like maybe oh, my really... kids are so well behaved yes. they're so yes. awesome yeah and to be honest I, I want my kids to adopt my values and beliefs about what is good loving and healthy 
it would be easy and I would love it if they never pushed up against it. Right. But what I know as a counselor is that sometimes there's shallow faith people in their 40s because they never challenged their belief system. Oh, I see what you're saying. Right. And those that have pushed up against it and decided for themselves tend to have a stronger, deeper value system than those that just lived by arbitrary rules without ever really deciding for themselves. Right. I feel like I've lived that. I feel like when you challenge something, you really have to determine... What is mine? What is mine? What is? What do I believe? What right. is right? right? What is my faith based on? That kind of thing. Sure. Yeah. It, it, yeah. it would. It's great to be a parent of people-pleasing teenagers. Mm-hmm. Makes it easy. Until they get to college. <laughs> I mean, may, or maybe, maybe not. not. I mean, maybe some of, not. Right. But half my practice might be people pleasing adults and it's destructive and it's not bringing them joy. It's not bringing them peace. It brings them anxiety. It brings them discontent. As painful and uncomfortable as it is, I would rather have my kids push up against my values and beliefs to adopt their own than to blindly follow mine without, um, without understanding the point, the purpose, and, and the joy that comes from it. Right. I love that. Okay. Um, so we've talked about what's under my umbrella that I'm holding. And you've talked about how our teens have their own umbrella that they're holding. Right. So I think just really quickly, because what I love about this, this is on the handout as well. What's not under my umbrella are kind of the converse of those things. So where you said my actions and behavior, well, what's not under my umbrella is your actions and behavior, your words, your thoughts and attitudes, your hopes and dreams, your responses and choices, your values, beliefs, and priorities, your emotional responses. So, so it's the converse of that. Absolutely. Going back to that, there's a statement that you make that I really like because it really defines how to avoid, I think, sure. acting outside your umbrella. Absolutely. So it's kind of a long sentence, and the audience doesn't have to write it down because I think you're going to, it's, it's on the handout. It's on right? the handout. Okay, yeah. so the audience doesn't have to write this down. But anytime I do what I do or say what I say so that someone else does or doesn't do, says or doesn't say, feels or doesn't feel, I'm under their umbrella, not mine. Right. I'm going to say it again. Anytime I do what I do or say what I say so that. So that is that, kind of so the big that is kind of, yeah, phrase That's your there. key. Mm-hmm. Right. That someone else does or doesn't do, says or doesn't say, feels or doesn't feel I'm under their umbrella, not mine. This seems a little bit semantics. I get that. But it's important because it doesn't add extra stress onto me. Extra frustration. If I think that I'm supposed to say something so that you do something, then when you don't do what you what I want you to do, I'm I'm adding to my frustration. There's already a frustration because we're in whatever conflict. But I've made it worse, not better. And if I'm saying something so that you feel or you do something, it's like I'm buying something you don't know I'm buying. Right. And you t- we were talking about this a minute ago. Could help help us with an example okay. of what you're talking about. So if I say I love you to my team. That's a good thing to do, right. right? If I'm saying I love you to my teens so that they say I love you to mommy, I'm under their umbrella. Why you do what you do matters more for relational and mental health than what you actually do. I mean, outside of abuse, don't send me emails. I get it. But <laughs> right, right. right. But abuse the motivation is is, okay. is is what will determine how healthy the relationship and your mental health is. Right. Is that fair? Okay. So if I say I love you so that... You say, I love you too, mommy. I'm under your umbrella, not mine. Okay. And in essence, I've bought something from you that you didn't know. 
Right. Right? So when you don't hold up your end of the bargain, you roll your eyes at me. <laughs> I'm like, you snotty little brat. All that I do for you and you can't say I love you too? Right? Right. Okay. Now, I think if we pulled the audience, most of them would say, I have a value and a belief to give loving verbal affirmations to my family. If my value and belief is to say I love you and to give loving verbal affirmations to my family, then I say that regardless of what you do or don't do. Right. That's my umbrella is to say what lines up with my values. I love you. You're now free to say I love you too, mommy, or to roll your eyes at me. There's no way to make you rolling your eyes not painful for me. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's developmentally appropriate. Yes. <laughs> right? Yes. <laughs> It's not necessarily an interpretation that I have not passed on good values. Kids are, have to fail at values before they really learn them for themselves. They have to be free to not do what you want them to do before they can be free to really choose for themselves to do it. Right. So, you, yes, and, I, and that's a little kind of catchphrase that I like, too. You have to be free to say no, no. in order to have the freedom to say yes in love. Right. Right. Yeah. So, you may be making them do stuff or not do stuff as a teen because they're still in your home. But what you're looking for them to do is become adults who adopt these internally on their own. Right. So they're practicing. If you, that's what you want, you got to let them practice saying no at home. Is that right? Yes. That doesn't mean there's not consequences that you want them to be applicable, right? But, but so I say I love you because that's my value, not so that you do. That gives... If you roll your eyes or say something snarky at me, it may still hurt my feelings, but I've given you freedom and I can lay my head down at night knowing I did what was good and loving and lined up with my values. Well, and it doesn't mean that it ends there, right? Doesn't mean that because, it ends there. Because I think in that moment when they roll their eyes, how would you recommend responding to that? Because for me, I would probably say something like, okay, wow, that really hurt my feelings, but I love you. I still love you. And... And so I'm communicating like, ouch, right? but I'm not forcing them right. necessarily. But is that manipulative? Is that... You know, some of it depends on your personality, their personality. You probably have lots of choices. So I won't right. say for parenting, there's a lot of gray area, right? Right. So an extreme over this way would be not helpful and unhealthy. And an extreme over this way would be not helpful and unhealthy. But there's a wide area of gray where choosing anywhere in there is good enough. So this becomes right. one of those where there's several responses you could choose from and is one better than the other this side of heaven i don't know if any of us know right so it's depending on the personality and the nature of our relationship and what that means would determine how i respond so i might sometimes i do things that are playful so i might roll my eyes and snark like <laughs> right. mirror back to them what they just yeah. did right right which you know and then we laugh and it's funny i might say I love you too, mommy, just so they, <laughs> right. they recognize that there was an anticipated response that didn't happen. I might say, you know, someday, <laughs> someday you're going to have a 15-year-old or that what, gives you the... Or what my mom used to say, well, I don't know, that I can remember her specifically saying it, but I know she's taking great joy in knowing that <laughs> I'm raising a daughter who was quite similar to how I was when I was a teen, like that whole, like, I hope you have a daughter just like right. you. Right. And, and in fact, instead of doing that, you know, that traditional, I hope you have a daughter just like you, I might say, you know, right now, grandma's chuckling yes. because she's... Yeah. remembering when I did it. And what you're doing is you're, you're normalizing that it's developmentally appropriate sometime for them to be little snots to you. Right. Even when you're doing something that's good, loving, and healthy. Right. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so it doesn't make this easy. There's no way to make parenting easy. 
Come on now. That's why, I we wish had, that's why I had you on the show. There's no way to make parenting decisions, especially for teens, clear. I wish there was. This is the way to make it less cloudy. One of the things kind of to summarize and wrap up. Yes. Because um, I think Amy and I could talk about this all day. Uh, yes. <laughs> is And have before. <laughs> when we're under somebody else's umbrella, whether it's our spouse, our kids, mm-hmm. right? It's exhausting, right? It produces anxiety. It produces frustration because we're trying to control things that we have no power to control. And we're trying, we feel responsible for things we really are not responsible. Parenting and marriage is hard enough without adding to it a bunch of over responsibilities for things that are not our responsibility. But here's the thing, if I'm responsible for something that's under your umbrella, then you're not, right? Right. So if I'm responsible for you being happy and not sad, then I'm gonna work really hard and may never be able to produce happiness in you. But if I'm doing that work, you're not. You keep waiting for me to make you happy. Mm-hmm. And you keep going, hey, I'm not happy, do something. I'm not happy, do something. And I'm jumping through hoop after hoop after hoop. And I have no power under your umbrella, right? Your, your teenager's action behaviors are under their umbrella, not yours. I, I wish I was powerful enough to control it, but I'm not. Right. And so I need to let go of that. The umbrella means I take hold of what is mine. What am I modeling? How am I training them? What am I reinforcing? And I let go of what's under their umbrella. What they do, what they say, what they think, what they feel, what their attitudes are. They are responsible for what they do. I think you bring up a good point as well, because once you start looking at this umbrella of responsibility, especially through the eyes of parenting, once you really start living this out, then what I found is it becomes clear where you are under someone else's umbrella in other areas, whether it's with your spouse or a friend or, or your, your own, boss at work, your even. boss at work, your own parents. Like, so what I've done here as well is I have provided a link to um, the Cloud and Townsend book that you sure. talked about in the very beginning. Um, and there are several different permutations of it. Like there's boundaries with teens, boundaries in marriage, marriage kids. Like kids, like there's all kinds of them. So I'm going to provide links to those books um, because they're re- if you want to know more about this, that's a really great place to start sure. about how, how this looks as it plays out in your life. Because like you've said before, it's, it all is nice and neat on paper, but it's super messy in real life. Right. It's, it's, it's always going to be messy, and that's okay. That's part of it. Right. This, I think, is just a really good starting place to know, especially for mental health, what is healthy or not healthy. Sure. Thank you so much for being here, Tammy, again. I, I love this idea of the umbrella of responsibility. And as we've talked, one of the things that I've thought about, and I know I'm springing this on you a little bit, but um, I think this idea of what are your values, beliefs, and principles and priorities what are those for you? How do you figure out what they are and what's good and healthy and loving and all those things? That, I think, might be a whole nother conversation, too. Uh, yes, so. probably. <laughs> probably. Uh, who are we kidding? We can make anything into a whole nother You and I can talk about anything. <laughs> right. Right. So thank you again for being here. And just to remind you, to be able to find Tammy online, you can go to Planting Seeds cc.com. I've provided that link here in my show notes on iTunes and on my website as well. Thank you again, Tammy, for all that you shared. You guys can find any resources that Tammy and I talked about on the show notes page for this episode at theishgirl.com 
forward slash EP72. And again, just going back to that umbrella analogy, it is one of my all-time favorites. Because I found it so useful, Tammy and I created a printable together that you'll definitely want to get your hands on. You can find a link to it also on that show notes page. Again, that's theishgirl.com forward slash EP72. Or you can go straight to theishgirl.com forward slash umbrella to be able to get it. Okay, now here's that quote I promised to share earlier. It is from a guy named Brandon Lucero. And although he said it long before the coronavirus became a thing, it has resonated with me during this time when it's been really easy to go into that default of anxiety or worry. So here it is. Whenever we feel anxious, fearful, or worried, we're living in the suffering of something that's not here yet as if it were. Now, if we can do that, then we can do the opposite too. Look at what we want and imagine what we'd feel if we had it today. We can feel that now as if it were here too. And on that note, please know that I'm praying for each one of you, not only that you and your family are staying physically healthy, but also that you're well in heart and soul and mind. So from an ish girl who is intentionally practicing gratitude every day because it's one more weapon to use against fear and anxiety, I am so glad that we are in the middle of it together.